Well, I'd like to welcome you, O future teachers of mindfulness meditation. I'm Tara Brock. And I'm Jack Cornfield. Warm greetings to you. To support you in your training, we've created a special podcast series of the best wisdom teachings from previous years of our teacher training. Now we know that sometimes simply listening and not having to watch a screen is a really good way to open, receive, and learn. The wisdom you'll hear is timeless, so while you may hear references to time, you'll easily connect with the truths that are being shared. May this rich selection of some of our favorite training sessions deepen your understanding of mindfulness and compassion and bring a new dimension to your teaching. We hope you enjoy these special recordings. Many blessings. Welcome everyone to tonight's live broadcast of our Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program. My name is Steve Lassard and I'll be your host this evening. Tonight, we are privileged to be reconnecting with Tara Brock. Without further ado, welcome Tara. Uh, thanks so much, Steve. And oh, my friends, I feel privileged to be reconnecting with you. Many blessings as we enter the new year. So the theme that we wanted to revisit and deepen uh, in, this, in this session is really looking at the power of intention and uh, ways that we can strengthen our intention and also addressing some of the confusions that come around it. I was remembering one uh, Zen teacher, Richard Baker, who described the very heart of Buddhism as intention and attention and that you can't separate. And you've probably noticed it, that the more that your intention is deep and, and awake, let's say for kindness or presence, the more your attention actually is full. And it's vice versa also. The more you're very uh, awake in your attention, the more you're in touch with what matters. So in Buddhist psychology, it's, it's really considered that intentions the seed that creates our future and um, so it deserves attention and of course it's in the air right now because I find the beginnings whether it's a year or um, a program or whatever we're, we're paying attention to the landscape of our lives and it's a kind of rededicating to what matters um, helping us move towards what matters I came, I'm going to be doing a talk on intention uh, tomorrow to the public. And one of the uh, kind of cartoons I want to share has two bears in a cave and they're um, hibernating, except for actually one's fast asleep and the other's wide eyed and tense. And the caption is, darn it, I know better than to have a cup of coffee after October. So that's my new favorite joke, and I like sharing those things with you. I'll even show you if you can see. This is the cartoon. I don't know how many of you have had uh, resolutions on caffeine, but that's one of the ones I have, so I can relate. One of the things I've noticed, uh, this is you know, teaching for now, it's like four decades plus, is that people will come to class, and some drop out, and some will... I'll see for years, and yet they plateau. It's kind of like they've just kind of hit hit a certain level. And then there's people that keep on unfolding. It's just an ongoing creative process of more wisdom and insight and, and opening of heart. And the difference, 
And this is what's so interesting to me. The difference, what really makes the difference doesn't have anything to do with the path they're on in the sense of Christian or Sufi or Qigong or Buddhist um, or the particular practice, but it's that they are in touch with a kind of sincerity, a, a deep intention or dedication to waking up. There, there's an in love feeling with truth and in love feeling with love. So when I explore intention with students, I often frame deep intention, which is what I really want to focus on uh, in this session, which is really our, the long range aspiration, the deep aspiration. It's really the calling of our potential, of our awakened heart mind to manifest. And, and it arises from a, a sense of separation and also a sense of knowing that there is a way and a possibility of manifesting. So that's the yearning. Sometimes when I teach, I will, and I'm going to do this tomorrow, so I thought I'd share this with you. Um, I will offer one of the Jataka tales. So I think it's more pronounced Jataka tales, which are the mythical teaching stories about the many lives of the Buddha and all the virtues that got expressed through his uh, different incarnations. In one of these, the Buddha was a good merchant, and he's living in a small village in northern India. And one afternoon while he's walking, working, uh, he glances out the window and sees this beautiful, luminous person walking across the town square. And he's stunned because he hasn't ever seen a person kind of radiating compassion in that way. And so the merchant knew instantly that he wanted to serve this being and really serve the path of compassion. He wanted to give his life to awakening love. So with great care, he prepares a tray of ripe fruits and tea to offer his nourishment and uh, steps out into the sunlit days, moving towards the luminous one who seems to stand awaiting him. Well, suddenly, when he's only halfway across the town square, daylight turns to darkness and the ground quakes violently and a gash in the earth appears between him and the one he longs to serve and lightning bolts rip through the blackened skies and he sees the glaring eyes and the bloody mouths of horrifying demons. Of course, this is Mara. So Mara is saying, go back, turn around. It's too dangerous. You're not you're not cut out for this. You won't survive. And as crashing thunder shakes the air and the voices are warning him, it's like, this way is not for you. Who do you think you are? Go back to the life you know. So the good merchant's terrified. and He's about to turn around and flee for safety. But at that moment, he remembers his longing for love and freedom. And that aspiration is stronger than any voice of warning. So with the image of the, that radiant being in his mind, he takes one step into the dark chaos of Mara and then another and another. And as these stories go, the demons disappeared and the brilliant light of day returned and the earth came together and healed. So the merchants there trembling with aliveness and, and love and gratitude, and he's right in front of the luminous figure and this great being embraces him saying, well done, Bodhisattva. Walk on through all the fears and pain in this life. Walk on following your heart and trusting in the power of awareness. Walk on one step at a time and you will know a freedom and peace beyond all imagining. As he heard the words, the good merchant felt his entire being fill with light. Looking around, he saw the same sacred presence shining through the 
ground and the trees and the singing birds and every blade of grass and he and the great being and every part of this living world belong to boundless radiant presence. So I want to say why I, I like to share this story. And it's mostly because it's inevitable that Mara, with all the, the egoic intentions, pulls us around. It happens every day to all of us, that we have choices that are our intention. It's to you know avoid fear, fear of failure or embarrassment or avoid rejection. We're grasping after approval, proving ourselves right going for temporary gratifications. Much activity during the day is totally functional, necessary. It's fulfilling responsibilities. Yet, if it's not out of fear and grasping, we can still remember our deep intention, but do we? So an inquiry I often ask to students, and you can check for yourself, is just to review the day. Just take a moment to review your day and you might remember some of the external activities and choices you made, what you were occupied with. But as you do it, sense what the mood behind the activity was. Was it the kind of limbic intentions of getting away from discomfort and trying to prove yourself or relieve your own anxiety about how much you have to do? Or how many moments was there shining through the activity, a sense of presence matters, kindness matters? So without judgment, what we do and we invite our students to do is to begin to investigate because intention is largely unconscious. And mostly through the day, we have self-centered thoughts self and other, and they, those self-centered thoughts lead to, as we know, um, actions that create separation. Of course, one of my favorite illustrations, some of you might remember this, is the mom that's preparing pancakes for her son, Kevin five and Ryan three, and they begin to argue you know, over who's gonna get the first pancake. So she sees this as a teaching opportunity. She says, well, if Jesus was sitting here, he'd say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So Kevin turns to his younger brother and says, Ryan, you can have the first chance at being Jesus. So what are our motivations? Because this is really what we're looking at. And the Buddha said that life is lived out of the tip of intention. And because it's unconscious for ourselves and with our students, it becomes a powerful process to begin to investigate what is under or behind what we're thinking, saying, and doing. Because if there's suffering, our intention is shaped by fear and grasping. Now, when I teach, I often use the word marbled, that intent, our intentions are marbled. It's not like we're either in pure intention or we're in you know, a kind of limbic grasping. And I think of when we get controlling with our children that there's fear mixed in and there's love mixed in and attachment mixed in. So the challenge is not that we have a lot of different energies operating, but that when we're unaware, we're in a trance and, and that trance affects everything. It seeds the future. I wanted to share with you um, 
a poem that I love by Stephen Levine. He says, we walk through half our life as if it were a fever dream, barely touching the ground. Our eyes half opened, our hearts half closed. Not half knowing who we are, we watch the ghost of us drift room to room through friends and lovers, never quite as real as advertised. Not saying half we mean or meaning half we say. We dream ourselves from birth to birth, seeking the true self. Until the fever breaks and the heart cannot abide a moment longer as the rest of us awakens, summoned from the dream, not caring, not half caring for anything but love. Not half caring for anything but love. My sense is that as we wake up, that caring gets very clear and it guides us. It's a compass of the heart. But on the way, we get waylaid a lot. It's like Rumi says, he says, gamble everything for love if you're a true human being. Half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. You set out to find God, but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses. So I love that image that we're all on this unfolding path uh, to really manifesting the, the love and the awareness that's here and we get waylaid. And so this process we're exploring right now is how do we investigate so that we don't get derailed by intentions that we're not aware of. And it, it happens as we become aware of suffering. And then we recognize that we've got unmet needs that need attention and that the fear and wanting is going to keep driving us if we don't pay attention. So we become mindful of what I call limbic intent. This is the intention coming from our survival brain because in some way it feels like it's not getting what it needed. One of the uh, metaphors that you might remember uh, from the training that I return to a lot when I'm teaching, and I think you'll find helpful, is that circle of awareness with the line going through. And everything that is above the lines, what's in awareness. And everything what's, that's below the lines, what's outside of our awareness. And when we're acting from fear or grasping, then we're below the line. We're in the possessed by kind of a limbic intent. So if we can become aware of that and become compassionate towards that, not judge it, then we can ask the question, really, what's my true intent? So this is a process that, um, you know, that I find that I do all the time on some level, that when I'm caught in something, I'll feel what's going on and I'll feel what's driving me and bring compassion. And then I will tap into what is it I'm really, really caring about. And you have to go through the suffering with self-compassion to get at the deeper intention. I'll give you an example that I found helpful uh, when I was working with them. And I've remembered for years, one woman, a longtime meditator had decades of distance from her older sister, her older sister had a very conventional lifestyle, but this woman was much more impulsive and non-traditional. She was kind of the family bad girl and got in a lot of trouble when she was younger. 
So she would say things, get misunderstood, feel unappreciated. And her sister, with her sister, there was a lot of distance and tension over the years. But now their dad had died, their mom was unwell, and they were forced together for holidays uh, with her and their younger sibs and extended family. So Thanksgiving gathering, early in the evening, uh, their mom was asleep and they all began discussing her health. And this woman, uh, the meditator, started weighing in on her mother's diet and suggested maybe going gluten-free, less meat, omega supplements. You, you can imagine what she was suggesting. Her older sister, who had always kind of looked askance at her alternative approaches, said, look, I know you're into this stuff, but you're not a doctor. And this woman was kind of like stunned and pulled back. But then she lashed back, well, you don't have to be a doctor to know about good nutrition. Anyway, it escalated. The woman, who I'm the protagonist in our story here, left the room. She was angry. She was hurt was having in her mind the same thoughts she'd had since she was a child, that, you know, she's always putting me down, she doesn't respect me. But this time, because of her meditation practice and all the, you know, the kind of teachings about going below, seeing what's below the line, she paused and she started paying attention to the anger and to the hurt that's underneath it and just offering kindness, breathing with it. And then she asked herself, well, what intentions really been driving me? And she could see very clearly that behind her asserting herself about the diet and then defending herself, she really wanted to be respected for her knowledge. She wanted to be seen. These are all very natural intentions, nothing wrong with them. She want, so she you know, offered kindness to the part of herself that wanted to be seen and respected. And then her presence grew so she could ask that critical question, what's my deepest intention here? And her deepest intention was loving connection. She really wanted to feel connected with her sister. So that became her, her prayer. Her, that's what she was dedicated to, because a deep intention has a dedication to it. And she knew that she needed to kind of release the demand that her sister understand her and appreciate her. She had to release that. So the rest of the evening, she was more able to engage and not insert her opinion, not defend herself. Well, months later, Hanukkah, more ease. They laughed together over some old family stories. Later that night, her sister told her a bit about a tough time with her teenage son. Something shifted. At the end of the, the evening with her sister thanking her for being such a good listener, such a good shoulder to lean on. Her understanding was that she went really from intention that was ego level and totally understandable to a deeper intention, a heart intention. And she called it not my will, but my heart's will, which is a phrase that I know a number of people have used. Not my will, but my heart's will. And what happens is she started becoming aware of karma, that when it was her will, that got communicated. Intention gets communicated. We all have a part of our brain, these mirror neurons, that one of the main things they, they compute is intention in others. So when our intention is to, in some way, uh, promote ourselves or defend ourselves or prove ourselves or whatever it is, other people can feel it. So this movement from not my will to my heart's will created a field around her, created different karma. 
It was the seeds of a different future. So what I'm explaining right now or going over is one of the main ways that we shift from a kind of egoic level intention to deep intention. And there's a mini reflection that you can try out that, that I often will include when I'm teaching. As many of you know, when I teach, I'll write in the middle of a talk, whatever I'm talking about, invite people to reflect on some of the content so they can get grounded in it. And you might try that right now, just reflect on this, uh, this particular theme by taking a pause, maybe closing your eyes, and bringing to mind a situation with another person where there's some reactivity, where there's some, uh, where the limbic flare-ups happen. Some, something that has happened maybe repeatedly with one person, where you just kind of hit a, hit a block in some way, where you know that you are reacting also. And as you let that situation become very right here in front of you, you might sense what's triggering the reaction, you know, the way the person's speaking or what you're believing about how they are relating to you or whatever it is. But make the U-turn and just feel inside yourself. You know, what's going on? What are the unmet needs in you right now that are driving a reaction? Maybe the, the need to be respected or seen or cared about, listened to, supported. As you sense your own unmet needs, you can begin to sense the limbic intent. That's the, the fear or the wanting that's driving the reactivity. So that's the first part of the investigation. So what is that limbic intent? And can you offer kindness to this whole stirring up, you know, this human being within that's, that's got needs and unmet needs and gets stirred up and just offer that kindness, a real gesture of kindness. That this belongs, this is part of our makeup to react. And if you can let it belong and offer compassion, you can start sensing a little more space, a little more presence, a little more equanimity. And you can ask that second question, which is, so what's my heart's intent? What's my deep intention? What really is my deepest intention in this situation? Relka calls our deep intent the winds of homecoming because they bring us more fully to who we are. You might sense the winds of homecoming in you and, and how much choice is there that opens up? Do you sense more choice in how you might respond in the future? Taking a few full breaths 
You can continue with your eyes closed or open as you choose. Now, I kind of um, put you through that very quickly. You'd slow it down, but it's very valuable to have people come with the conflictual situations where they're suffering and start exploring how to move from the more limbic intent to their heart's intent. Now, the other way that we help to cultivate deep intention is when there's not obvious suffering, we simply reflect well, what really matters in my life. And in order to do that, you need to take a little time. I'll often at the beginning of my Wednesday class, you know, have us get quiet and then ask people to reflect on their intention. And often people will say, well, I have no idea what my intention is. I tried, but I didn't come up with anything. Or, or they'll come up with something really shallow that, doesn't, that I know isn't their deepest intention. And there's a good reason. It's intention and attention. Unless we have enough presence and attention, we can't really tune in to what matters to us. You might remember the words of Martha Postelway, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life. We need to create a clearing to reflect on, on what really matters. Ways that you might assist students is to have a reflection on intention after a sitting, at the end of a sitting, or you can invite a reflection on impermanence. And we're going to close um, this, this uh, session with one where we can sense with the truth of impermanence how much it helps us to let the light of our deepest intention shine through. You might remember that story where a woman who only had a, a year to live, her mantra was, I have no time to rush. So the wisdom of impermanence. Yet another way of helping people contact deep intention is to share about the Bodhisattva aspiration as a template and just have them try it on. And you can do that this, this moment. And uh, the, the, the aspiration really has two parts. It's whatever circumstances arise, may they serve to awaken this heart and mind. And then may that awakening be of benefit to all beings. So you might just reflect for a moment. Again, pausing. You're just we're just doing little tasters, but these are things you may want to build into your talks and presentations. Um, you can sense into a difficulty right now, something that is weighing on you in your life. Could be a health challenge, yours or somebody who's dear could be some sort of a um, challenge at work, something where there's a great amount of stress to do with finances. Could be a conflict that you're having with somebody, estrangement. When you identify, you might just feel what's difficult, feel it in your body some. And then sense what happens if you, from the most sincere place in you, say, may these circumstances serve to awaken my heart. May these circumstances serve to awaken my heart, my mind, bring some freedom to this being. 
And may that be of benefit to all. May it ripple out that deepening wisdom and compassion. And just sense what happens when your prayer is, may this awaken compassion in me. Sometimes it can be framed as a question, how might this awaken compassion? It still comes from that intention to wake up. And many people report to me that when they try that on, it really offers a frame that uh, inspires and resonates. Some people not, it's just they're not at that at that time able to connect to it. But it's an aspiration that deep down, if we're really silent and present, is in us. That whatever is going on, this life's going to come and go. May it serve to awaken us. So one of the questions that students ask me, and they'll ask you probably too, is how do I know if I'm touching into true aspiration or a, a deep intention? And I just wanted to briefly review what I think of as the three key elements of a living aspiration, because I find these so helpful in teaching about it. And the first is that a, a true aspiration or a, a, a deep, the deepest intention um, always has to do with manifesting potential who we are beyond the separate self. Um, it's, it's, some, it's some in that domain. It's not um, the aspiration or intention to hike the Appalachian Trail or to um, impress somebody or to win something. It always has to do with manifesting the, our deepest potential. The second part is it's embodied. It's felt. A true aspiration will feel it in our bodies. And as I mentioned uh, in one of the trainings, Oprah Winfrey says, when it's right, I guarantee that your entire body will feel it. So that's the second one. It's embodied. And the third is that it can be experienced right in this moment. You can't hike the Appalachian Trail in this moment, but you can experience the fullness of kindness and awareness in this moment. Now, I'd like to, the last piece I'd like to say is that whether it's uh, aspiration that we've spontaneously, spontaneously tapped into or that we've you know, gone through the process of suffering and came, come to, when you touch the winds of homecoming, entrain to them, get familiar and intimate with them. You'll remember with Rick Hansen's presentation, the importance, if you want to turn a state of deep intention into a trait where you're actually, your whole life is being guided by your awake heart. That means in the moments you touch it, get to know it. You know, I remember um, my first Buddhist retreat was about 30 years ago. Uh, I was a few days in and I was really settled and I touched a place of stillness, a kind of open heartedness, and I just burst out crying. And it was this feeling of loving love. Um, and sorrow about how many moments I forget. And I suspect there are a lot of you listening that know exactly what I'm talking about, that it's when, we're, when we feel it, it's like, why am I so rarely here? So that was it. And then I increased that. I, I kind of 
entrain some by actually expressing it, where I would just say, I love you, beloved. And beloved is that loving presence that is that can be felt so intimately for me. And it's happened many, many times since that um, I'll, I'll be kind of in my trance. And then when that, when that longing and that sense of tenderness arises, um, it's so powerful that it's become a part of my practice whenever I even sense a bit of it to really get intimate with it. And that makes it there more and more that, that deep remembrance that, um, you know, more than being comfortable or looking good, I really want to realize and live from loving presence. So entrain to it. Entrain and the winds of homecoming are there more regularly. So I have, a, I want to end with a reflection, as I mentioned, on using impermanence to reflect on intention. But I think, Steve, instead of doing it right now, I'd like to... Um, pause and hear some of your questions and respond and then we'll keep we'll keep a few minutes at the end excellent tara we'll make sure we'll have some time for that so early on this came in i feel like manifesting is a slippery slope as there is a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions born from some recent popular programs on the subject as setting intentions can be closely tied to this idea how do you help students navigate this con uh, concept with wisdom and caution? Beautiful. I get it. And it's a fabulous question. Um, this is a um, kind of domain of questions that's probably the most important that, that we work with, which is really what's the difference between um, intentions and grasping and trying to make something happen and being different and so on. And, really has to do with where it's coming from. In other words, you can want to manifest because you want to be superior and inflate an ego, or you can want to manifest because the it's the winds of homecoming. You want to rest in, in a wholeheartedness. The only way to tell the difference is to investigate in the body uh, the felt sense. It's like Oprah said, you, when we're sincere, uh, there's a tenderness and an openness. When the manifesting is more to get to be a somebody, there's a grasping and a tightness. And we can teach uh, people to discriminate between them. You know, you can do a guided meditation. You can talk about the difference between the guy, two men are holding a knife and one's a surgeon and his intention is to try to try a life a life-giving uh, operation on somebody and the others wanting to plunder and, 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 and injure and so on. So you can, you can trace back to where it lives in the body, the, the, the deep intention and, and know, and use that as the kind of signpost. So I hope that's helpful because I, and I think it's really fair to say that it's easy to get them scrambled and it's easy to have a diluted intention. Hmm. Thank you, Tara. A couple more coming in here, slowly trickling in. Uh, the next question is, I often set intentions for my teaching only to find that as I start to see them through, they change. Is there any value into holding on to the original tension or is it okay to let it evolve? How do you know when I'm, how do I know when I'm just taking the easy way out? 
Ah, thank you. So I think it's helpful to discriminate between deep intention and then the 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 kind of narrower intentions or goals that are in service of that deep intention. So let's say the deep intention is I want to love without holding back. I really want to awaken this heart and love. And one of the narrower intentions in doing that is as I'm speaking right now, I want to stay in my body so I can have an authentic kind of presence. And let's say as I'm talking, another intention comes, which is um, in some way I want to be able to imagine all of you in the field and sense our connections. Then I go with, you know, it's fine to go with whatever feels like a, a wise pathway towards our deepest intention. You'd want to be flexible with that. But the deep intention is kind of that stable background of, again, it's that homecoming to who we are. And that's kind of the background that keeps calling us. So I hope that that discrimination between deep intention and the smaller ones that get us there is helpful. And then, Tara, we've got two questions coming in asking for some definition between the difference between goals versus intentions. Is there, do, do you view a difference? Um, is this where some of those surface, you know, potentially more shallow things might come through in a goal versus an intention? Or are, are they, in your view, the same thing? It's very natural. We go through the day and we have goals. It's a more narrow aperture to our intent, to our um, awareness where it's very particular. It's very specific. I want to get from here to there. I want to do this, say that. And those goals are fine. It depends on whether they're coming from care and creativity and wisdom versus grasping and fear. This will determine what kind of future they create. So goals are narrower and they can, and they're neutral. They can go either way, depending on the deeper intention behind them. Okay. Thank you. Um, just came in a great question here. Can you suggest some ways to help students understand the distinction between suffering and valid pain, such as grief, sadness, physical pain, um, distinguishing between valid, difficult emotions and suffering? So when we speak of suffering, students don't get the impression that we are saying they shouldn't experience difficult emotions and pain. Mm, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> we can use the, um, the circle with the line and all sorts of emotions come up. And if we're uh, resting in awareness, in other words, if we're above the line and we're noticing them, then we're not identified with them. There are waves in our ocean. They're absolutely natural. They have intelligence. They have messages for us. And they're not defining us. Um, those emotions become suffering if we're below the line and we're not aware that they're happening and they're, and then our whole sense of who we are takes their shape. So it's completely pivots on whether they're in awareness or we're possessed and our identity is shrunken. I, I just want to reiterate, and I, and I like the Tibetans approach to this a lot, which is that um, emotions get a bad rap and we're designed to feel them and um, you know, the Tibetans describe them as really kind of the richness of the nectar that, you know, they, that makes everything happen. It, life is very dry without them. Each one, embedded in each emotion is an intelligence and a wisdom that if we're above the line can become really luminous. So to honor the pathway of awakening through emotions is really, I think it's really um, a rich one. 
Tara, this next question, this next viewer uh, says they're dealing with some doubt in setting their own intention. And they write, felt sense. I struggle with this word. It feels good for me to set the intention to be debt-free and wealthy, but that also feels shallow and not for the benefit of others. Can you talk a little bit more about, about understanding this felt sense when setting our intentions? Well, the more that you're aware of every part of your being, the more your intention is going to come through in a very conscious and pure way. So what I mean by that is aware of the level of thought. You're aware of what thoughts and beliefs are, are shaping you in the moment. Uh, aware of the thought of the level of emotions. So you're aware of the, the fears and the hurts and the wants and aware of the field of sensation. And, and, the, and when we talk about the felt sense, it's usually that that sense of the feeling sense in the body of, of energy and sensations. So if we're awake to all of that and then we listen, we sincerely say, so what really matters? And we listen um, in that presence a very deep intention will come through. It won't be an intention to be wealthy or be debt-free. It'll be an intention to maybe perhaps live in integrity and aligned and be honest or be able to serve. Or it's, it's that level. And being wealthy or debt-free may or may not serve it. It might serve it as a strategy, but it might not if there's grasping around it. And again, if you're aware of the felt sense, you'll notice the grasping that makes you smaller. I feel like I've, I've one more here that we haven't touched on um, because all the rest, I feel like you've answered. So saving you from repeating yourself and unless something else comes in. The, the last question is asking, um, are, are there, I'm sorry, I just lost it. My apologies. There it is. Um, are there certain things around intention and attention and setting attention, setting uh, intentions that you've found it difficult for students to fully grasp onto? You, the question is, is around like, what are, what are the, what are going to be the pitfalls in bringing this to other people? Well, the big one is that there's not enough presence to really listen. So it takes, it takes time to really listen. Another is landing on um, habitual intentions that you know, are kind of pre, already prepackaged in our brain. Like it's very easy for people to say, oh, I have an intention to be peaceful or I have an intention to be serviceful. But again, for it to be a true intention, it has to be felt uh, viscerally in the body. So to get a person in their body, in that sincere place, listening, that itself is a practice. The other piece is that when people are suffering, uh, they're usually believing their thoughts. So rather than investigating intention, they're kind of looping in the suffering. So it takes a um, it takes some experience and some guidance to try to to help people remember to look. I'll share a story uh, that that touched me. One woman uh, who was had cancer and as part of her recovery formed an organization to help other women who had their lives have been uh, touched by cancer and some years after her recovery she had a chest x-ray you know because she had them every year that that showed that she because she was checking to see if the cancer had um, metastasized 
because there's always a risk of that. And the doctor calls me as well. There is a nodule on along and uh, we need to do a CT scan. And, and she got it on a Wednesday and was told the results would be in the next day. So here, so here is the setup. Here she is. And, you know, what if it's metastasized? And she's done all this healthy diet and exercise and it hasn't made a difference. And then the anger that, you know, she might not have the energy to fight cancer again. So there's a spiraling going on of it. And that, that's, you know, some level of suffering there. She called the doctor's office twice. He promised he'd call back and he didn't. So finally she started reading and meditating. And it was in that period when she quieted down that she remembered her aspiration had always been, make me an instrument, use me. It's, just, it, what, it, what, it's what gave her a sense of belonging and meaning is to be serving and being part of something larger. And, and remembering that changed her whole body's experience. And, um, you know, some part of her said, you know, maybe having cancer against the way I'll be most useful to support others. But she, it brought, having that aspiration helped her trust the bigger unfolding, whatever reality was, she could rest in it more. And um, it gave her a lot of peace and calm. And the end of the next day, she finally got the results and there was nothing to worry about. And she celebrated, but she also said, I'll read you. She said, um, she was glad she didn't get, Glad I didn't get the results immediately because it had put her in touch with what most mattered. It had reconnected her with her real uh, longing to realize belonging and serve that larger belonging. And it also put her in touch with a sense that I'll be okay no matter what. Um, she says, I'm not a body. Someday now this body won't go on and I'll still be okay. I like being reminded of that periodic. So I, I share that because um, as we come to a, a close of this uh, this t tonight, it creates our future. Our conscious intention in this moment creates our future. We cannot change anything about the past. But where we are empowered is how we respond to what's going on right here. And if what's going on right here is there's suffering, if we can sense, oh, I'm responding with the intention to grasp or the attention to avoid, if we can see that and hold that with compassion, we can ask that pivotal question, what is it I really care about? What really matters? And make that shift from the ego's will or the limbic willfulness to the heart's willingness really to uh, open and, and be here. So with that, I'd like to um, invite you to a, a very brief reflection that we'll do as part of closing that I often share uh, in my classes and just give you a taste of it and see, see how it feels for you. So take a moment, if you will, to make yourself comfortable. And give yourself a little arriving time, letting the inflow and outflow of the breath help to collect your attention. Perhaps breathing a little more slowly than usual, extending and lengthening the in-breath. 
and then a slow out breath. Just continuing like that, a long, slow in breath. And a slow out breath, letting the breath be smooth and fluid. And then letting go of any control of the breath, just observing the breath and being aware of what's right here, your senses awake. Imagining in your life that you have a year to live. And just sense what would matter to you. What would you want to do? What would you want to experience? What would be the deep intention that was guiding you through that year? And then if you had a month to live, you might sense what you do, what activities. what you'd want to experience. What the underlying and deep intention would be, how would the compass of your heart be guiding you? And then now you have a week, let that be real. See if you can put yourself into that, like really a week on this earth. Sensing what you'd want to do and experience. What's the deep aspiration that's calling you home? You have one day, sensing what you'd want to do and experience. What's the longing in your heart, the aspiration? And you just have a few moments few moments and just sense what matters to you in these last few moments right here. What does your heart long for? What is it you most want to experience, know, realize, trust? Feel it right here in your body, your heart, what you're longing for. 
but it be as big as it is. Just let yourself fully fill yourself with it. So if you could let it be absorbed into that longing like a sponge, you could surrender into it. Let it fill your world. So you become what you're longing for. And know as you re-enter this relative reality of here we are, there's some map of time, there seems to be a future, that the more you awaken that longing, the more intimate you become with it, the more it has the power to carry you home, the more it informs all the moments of your life, all your relationships becomes a seed of your future. As Hafez said, for I have learned that every heart will get what it prays for most. So I thank you for your attention, for um, being willing to participate, because I trust you have been. Um, it's really a pleasure to feel us together in the field and sending you many loving blessings. Namaste and be well. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. And with that, we'll conclude tonight's session of our Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Certification Program live broadcast. Thank you, Tara, and everyone out there who is with us tonight. We really enjoyed your participation and your, your presence and your, your participation.